Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nikia Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Welcome everybody who's joined us for this webinar. We have with us in the house Enrique Cordero, who um, has so graciously allowed us to get insight into the Latin American market as well as family businesses in Latin America. Welcome, Enrique. Thank you very much, Enrique, uh, Cici, for this opportunity to be with the uh, AFF, which is African Family Firms. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so I'm just going to let you introduce yourself so that our audience gets insight into who Enrique is. Okay, well, I'm primarily a family business uh, ourselves. As, uh, we founded a, a company in 1993 and a printing company in Nicaragua, and we have had other businesses. And uh, it motivated me to go into the family business consulting, the fact that uh, there was so little information. It took me almost 15 years until I decided to go get an MBA at a university that uh, to realize that that was a case study itself and that the problems that I was having were not just my problems, it was the problem of every family business. So uh, we have been working in, in helping family businesses for over 10 years now. And uh, we have been covering part of uh, South Florida, Central America, Panama, and a little bit of Colombia. Um, it sounds very exciting. Um, I'm just going to jump into the questions. I know we've got a couple of questions that we need to cover. So we are going to honor the chair, which is Enrique today. And uh, we'll feed the, the questions to you first before we answer from our African uh, perspective as well. Okay. So the first question would be um, focused on next gens because um, Nike is into next gens and that's her jam there. What do you think are some of the biggest stumbling blocks that face family businesses in your region in Latin America and Nike obviously in um, Western Africa with regards to next generation transition vis-a-vis -vis succession planning? Um, I'll start with you Enrique. Well, primarily uh, the founders uh, there was a, there's a story about a founder that I once asked, uh, when does succession start? And uh, that was a question that I, I was really curious to see the answer. And it's really when the child is born, you know, and uh, because you start nurturing that uh, care, that uh, 
that understanding of the business, even when, when you see children playing with a card in the father's office. Uh, a successor, in my opinion, does not fall in love with the business when they're 30, when they're 40. They, they start creating that relationship, creating that apathy and caring uh, from the very beginning. And it feels to me that, and I'm talking to you as a founder, you know, that uh, we are not worried about succession when we're in their 30s, 40s. You know, I, be, I started realizing I was a mortal when, when I was about 48, you know, and realized that uh, there was nothing being done for about succession. There is, a, there is a story, and I found this out, there is a plane from American Airlines where the pilot had a massive heart attack at 50,000 feet in the air with 400 passengers in the plane. And I like to ask families when I, when I tell this story, what do you think happened? You know, and, and well, there is all kinds of answers, but actually nothing happened because there is a co-pilot which has been trained for many years for a long period of time and it's also ready and he knows, the captain knows that the co-pilot will eventually be a pilot, will be a captain, and the co-pilot knows that he will eventually also be uh, a pilot. So uh, I don't know how long I have to answer this question, but I could go on and on with, with, with this story, but just to finish this part, uh, they were the, the analogy in, in this is that the problem with the family business is that everybody in the cabin thinks they are pilots. You know, and if they are not ready, then everybody's going to rush into that little door. If there is not clear rules as to how we're going to handle the, the succession, who does what, then uh, I believe that the ignorance that we have that I have as far as preparing for secession, uh, it's the biggest stumbling block in, in, in not only in Nicaragua, but I would think that in, in Latin America and, and, and this whole continent on this side. Just to um, push a bit further before Nikkei answers that, from what you're saying, you are also a, a family founder, a family business founder. That's correct. And so you're, you're saying that about when you're about 48 is when that recognition came to you that, okay, I need that co-pilot to really help me navigate this, this plane. And, but you're also a family business consultant in your region. So what has been your experience? Are there more people realizing now or at a later age that succession planning is necessary or is it something that you're finding that founders at a younger age are starting to train their co-pilots or starting to even think of succession planning from the family businesses that you've dealt, dealt with and the um, family businesses and the associations that you deal with? Well, I think one, one particular family comes to mind that, uh, you know, the, the father, uh, they found it. Most of the businesses in Nicaragua are in first generation, as, as most of the world, because of the, the difficulties of passing from one generation to the other. And 
And in this case, uh, the father had sent the kids to study, to get masters and everything. They come back uh, fully capable. And in, in, in their mind, everybody was just going to join the family business and live happily ever after. But that was not the case. The case started the conflict of not understanding the emotions that come involved in the family business. So I believe that people, uh, that families have the desire that their children continue their business. And that is something different from in the, the United States. The United States, they have no problem saying when, when I'm 70, 75, I sell this business and everybody go fence for themselves. I've noticed that feeling, you know, more in the United States where Latin America is more of, of mom, mother hen, you know, trying to keep their, their children in the, in the family business umbrella. So uh, the desire to be a family business is there. The desire to have other generations enjoy the benefits of that business and what the founder has created is there. But the consciousness of what it takes, I think it's lacking. Right. Um, I think I'll pose the same question to Mike. Yes. Um, in Africa, I think a lot of the issues and the challenges that um, next generation succession planning, we face here are cultural. So typically Africans don't like to talk about death. And not talking about death as the founder then means that um, obviously we're not preparing for death, whether it's from an estate planning perspective or in, with regards to leadership planning for next generation that will be potentially the leader of the family business or in a strategic role. And that puts next gens in a very difficult situation. Um, Another issue we tend to face over here is age dominance is prevalent across a lot of our tribes and countries. And as Dennis Shafi said during FB21, we have this honor culture. And as a result of this age dominance, speaking back or challenging founders who happen to be your parents is a bit of a challenge where we have different perspectives um, and we have different ideas from the founder as to how to take the business forward, but we're not able to express those. It can be a challenge and hinder collaboration. Quite often what happens is next gens lose interest in being in the business or don't even want to venture any other business at all. So that's one. Um, as a result of that as well, what happens is we tend to see not enough coaching and mentoring from the founder of the next generation. So often you, you will hear next gen say that, I desire to be a leader, but I've not been showed through the ropes. I've not been taught how to do this. Coach me, guide me, lead me to where it is that we want this family business to go towards. Often next gens like myself, we studied abroad, we schooled abroad, we worked abroad, and we have very different perspectives. And so when we come back with um, our different mindsets and our different ideas and perspectives, we come back onto the continent, quite a lot of the time uh, we, we, our ideas may be criticized as not being applicable in the family business. And that can create a gulf 
you know, between next gen and first gen and may lead to next gens not feeling like they can speak up about what it is they, what the, the issues are in the business from their perspective, um, which really does hinder collaboration. And a last one is, it's lonely for next gens, extremely lonely. In um, small business communities we face in our respective African countries where everybody knows who you are, but, you know, um, a lot of the time family businesses go through difficult seasons and next gens long for community, but for the longest time there hasn't been that community of other people with the same, in the same situation or with same aspirations. And so it can be a very lonely place for um, next gens on the continent. So next question now, Enrique and Sisi, it's for you. Um, what do you think are some of the biggest stumbling blocks that face family businesses in your respective regions with regards to family governance? Hi, everybody. Here is Parfait Ouattara from Côte d'Ivoire. I'm mostly uh, happy when I'm speaking French, but I'll try to speak in English. It's quite, uh, it's not that easy, but I'll try. So um, I'm on the board in the, of, the business, of the family business. It is called TaxiJet. It has been built uh, with my big brother who is living in, the, in, uh, in London. And uh, we start uh, four years ago, five years ago in 2015. Uh, at, the, at the beginning, we were owning our cars, our taxis. But now we are working with people who own their own taxis. Um, actually, because of the issue with the pandemic, uh, most of the people we are working with uh, have, uh, have uh, taken back their cars because uh, the government has that... Uh, People should stay at home, so it's a bit it's a bit difficult for us to hit our financial and operational uh, uh, targets. So I I I'm wait, I'm waiting for this call to get new idea to know how we can be able to come out with uh, a good idea during this pandemic period. So basically, that's the reason why I'm on the call. I'm not sure if I give an answer to what you were asking. Sorry, um, Enrique um, will address that question and then we'll come to Q&A um, after we ask all the questions, Parfait, but thank you. And it's great to thank have you, you um, on board. Thank you. Thank you, Nikkei. Well, one of the, is it okay now? <laughs> one, that, uh, one of the things that uh, I like to tell families that at this point, businesses or of all sizes are the equivalent to intensive care units right now you have to be able to understand your business to have uh, markers and have uh, kpos that uh, can really guide you to know what exactly is going on in your business i would say that uh, having a cash flow uh, report if you are, do not have your entire financial reports complete, but at least to have your cash flow reports will definitely give you a guidance as to which direction you're going. 
and it is good to innovate. It's good to try to change. You know, I've seen companies here in Nicaragua that were doing clothing and now are doing masks. You know, uh, companies that were doing some sort of chemical and now they're doing alcohol and, 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 and gel and, and transferring other things. So I would recommend to keep your business in intensive care, meaning know your indicators, know what's going on, and also try to promote the harmony by doing your, your decisions in conjunction also with your partners. Right, I think I'll go on to answer the question that Nikkei gave, which is what do I think are some of the biggest stumbling blocks that family businesses in our region face regarding to family governance? So I believe that family governance is something fairly new to the region, especially for family businesses. And it's a very difficult topic in our region. I think I'm speaking about Southern Africa, but I think most of Africa, um, given what Nikkei also said from her experience from next gens and the stumbling blocks that next gens are facing. So when it comes to family governance, most family businesses in Africa, I would like to uh, believe, don't have family governance structures or formal family governance structures in place. And one of the biggest things that stops that is communication. So given our cultural history and um, how African families normally operate, where we honor our elders, like uh, our elders, like um, what Doc, Professor Jaffe said, we use the honor system. And as an African child, you just know without knowing that what your parents says goes. And this then translates to how you operate within a business. If you join the family business, it's, there's, no, there's not necessarily any form, format on how you join the business. You find a lot of children who join the business are probably not even trained already to join the business. They join it because they are a child of the founder. And so that in itself can be a huge issue because there's no proper thought process that has been put into as the business grows, what is that going to look like? And when it comes to corporate governance, will it really sit well with other shareholders or investors who might be interested in the business? The family itself, because it doesn't discuss personal issues, parents and children don't have that forum that allows them to speak to each other in a way that addresses some pertinent issues or conflicts that may arise in the family that leaves so many un, unsolved situations which can cause conflict going forward. So when it comes to family governance, you find that there is no set rules. It's uh, natural governance, which doesn't always necessarily translate to it being a proper governance, even if it's natural governance. You just know, spoke when you're spoken to, do as you're told. And that can become very tricky, especially when you're running a business. As I always say, business is systems and procedures. You can change things around in systems and procedures to optimize. But when it comes to family, those are relationships, these egos. And there's always that underlying issue of the founder wants to keep 
being in charge. And like what you said, Enrique, thinking of yourself as um, a mortal being can be very difficult. And ultimately, with founders, they tend to believe that their perceived immortality is also the same in their business. And so the business becomes an insurance plan, a bank account, and everything in between. But there is no backup plan that then is thought of that is going to help the business outlive the founder themselves. So both are put in jeopardy because of lack of, um, of governance, lack of future planning, lack of thought processes. So it's being able to sit down as a family and starting to put parameters on how we communicate would be the first step I think would be necessary for African family businesses just to start communicating. Everything else that comes with communication becomes now us walking hand in hand, us now putting into place how we train the co-pilots and if and identifying if there is a co-pilot available or we have to outsource a co-pilot and how the family will relate to a co-pilot that comes from outside the family and what that will look like. So family governance is a lot about how the, the family works within itself as a unit and then how it correlates with the business and everybody else who comes in to deal with the family with relation to the business and so communication i think is the biggest stumbling block that really needs um, a lot of work especially in africa we don't communicate enough enrique do you have any um contribution from the latin american perspective yeah absolutely uh i think that in a way you know we also have that sense of uh of culture and and that sense of respect i would say uh, to the founders, but uh, I found successors challenging quite a bit what the founders say. Uh, you know, here we are, I, I guess, a little more outspoken in that aspect, which at, at the same time, it creates conflict because we say that everything can be said. It's the way we say it the, the, that what matters. And it goes back to what Sissy was saying about communication. You know, if we don't uh, communicate correctly, we, we start having that problem. And nobody teaches us to do that, you know, in, in any way. I think that the main problem is that, you know, founders, and, and I tell you from the bottom of my heart, I mean, we have, I made all the mistakes possible in Family B before I started uh, to study this in depth. And you know what? I didn't for all the right reasons with all the good intentions, you know. I thought that the, the, the way that I was preparing my business or working my business, it was the right way to do it. Uh, but, uh, and, and the thing is that, that, that founders do not think of, uh, of themselves as mortals because the, the sheer essence of a founder is that it's an entrepreneur. And an entrepreneur, it's designed, by design, it's made to cross rivers where there's no bridge, uh, throw down barriers uh, where there is no means to do it. You know, it's just uh, overcoming objections on and on and on. And we just think that, that uh, problems, we, we get in debt way over the indicators when I went when I finally, we tend to do everything ourselves. When I finally went into, into getting my master's, I was 42. 
but it didn't occur to me to go get a uh, to hire a uh, a manager that really knew what he was doing. It would occur to me is to go in to a master's program and and become more uh, of a manager. My background, uh, I forgot to mention at the beginning, is engineering. So there, you had an engineer managing a company which has become quite a bit large. And, and one of the traps actually that happens to, to, to founders also is to realize the difference between owner and manager. You know, I mean, I can own a McDonald's, but I, have, I don't know nothing about burgers. You know, I better have somebody uh, to, to do that, you know, or like the, like, like any other, other business, we can own it, but not manage it. And one of the things that I like to tell successors and also owners and founders is that there's actually three different levels of succession that we have to realize that the, the founders do not need to be threatened of being, uh, having a crew. Sometimes they say, Enrique, with this program of yours, uh, you want my children to do a crew on me, you know, and, and send me to, to a retirement home. And I said, that's not the case. I mean, there is three types of, of uh, succession and they have to take place at the right time. And, uh, and that is the, the succession of the managing part of the business, anything from general manager down or, or, or CEO down. Then you have the uh, succession in the board of directors. And that happens at different ages. Maybe I had a family that had a, a tech company and they didn't want a manager older than 40 because the ones that know what's going on are really young, you know, I mean, in, 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 tech, in, in tech issues. So, but they were willing to keep a, 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 a director in the board for up to uh, 65, 70 years old. And then the, the ownership was uh, done depending on tax issues. Uh, sometimes was done gradually. Sometimes it's done on t by inheritance, depending on what country. Uh, also that you, that you're in but uh, but so that allows the founders to gradually relinquish uh, some of the uh, some of the managing aspects the day-to-day -day, and let them be more in a oversight condition but that is hard to learn you know once when, ever since we start a business we are used to doing everything. We have many hats uh, put on top and we do not, our, our ways of managing the business do not evolution the, the same way that the business does as it grows and increases in size and, and number of employees. Right. Family business, um, especially in Africa as a term uh, or an, as an identifiable sector is a fairly new concept. Um, and I think the same in your region for some time where when we say family business, people blank out, they're thinking mom and pop stores ma mainly. They're not thinking about uh, the, the middle to larger corporations and uh, they're not thinking that at least 80% of global GDP is contributed to by family businesses. So 
they're dominating everywhere. It's just in our region, we're just right at the, we're slow on the uptake. What work do you believe needs to be done to ensure that family businesses get the right support and information to help them become stronger and better? And also for them to actually realize the power that they do have and use it in a positive way that will benefit the economies of the regions that we're in. Um, Enrique. Well, I think that the, the term is so new that, uh, like I was saying, when I went to the uh, business school and found out about the term, I was flabbergasted. My, my, my uh, colleagues, my classmates were going, Enrique, what's going on with you? What's happened? Because when I was looking at the, at the slides and looking at the cases in the board, I was saying, just take the name out, put, it, put my name on it, put my family name on it. And, and you're talking about what, what's going on with me. I mean, just the, the, we are, you know, government is farther away of, uh, of understanding what's going on with the family itself and the business, because not even us, <laughs> you know, the, the, the family business itself knows about this topic, I like to, I, I also teach at the university and I like to, to do a little questionnaire now that we have this uh, Google Forms, it's so easy to send something out. And one of the questions that I ask my students is, do you have a family business? And, and or do, are you a part of a family business? And many, I would say a, a good 60, 70% say yes, because it's a private school. So it, it, it kind of, uh, be, besides it, it follows the, the, the statistics. <laughs> but, uh, and then I ask, uh, would you like, uh, are you planning on staying on the business and, and working in the business later on? And they go, no, they, they want to go do something on their own. So to answer the question is that, we are starting with training or not training, I would say to, be, to create awareness with the businesses itself. And I, I think that for the nature of this type of business, the family business are not expecting too much that the government do something for them. You know, it's uh, the, the, the business, the family business is uh, normally they grow out of an opportunity they see and they go after it and, and they go with all the means or the lack of, or, or the lack of the, their means and start and, and they become successful and with a better performance than a non-family business. But when we look back, one of the professors that I like to follow is uh, uh, Professor Joseph Tapies from the Navarro University. And he has a small summary of the history of Family B. And he looks back that in, it's just 1953 when the first uh, paper was written about Family B. And he was, and he was saying that Family B business was not viable because of all the circumstances that had. And it wasn't until 1964 that uh, another paper was written saying that Yes, it's, it, uh, it's certain that family businesses have its problems, 
but it also has a lot of strength that made the family business uh, what it is. And, uh, and then we look at the fact that only until, well, John Davis, uh, uh, the professor John Davis is another one that it's a big one in family business. And he's literally young when I see him, you know, and, and he's, I don't know, he might be in his, I don't want to guess his age, he's going to get upset. <laughs> but, uh, but he's, to me, he's literally young. And these are the people that are uh, promoting family business. So this is a definitely very young uh, topic in the understanding because family business is as old as humanity, right? I mean, but the understanding of the business is just coming to age. And so we have a lot of work to do to, to, to promote family business. And I think that uh, what we're doing here, uh, it's, it's also opening up, there's no borders. I mean, uh, as I speak to you, I'm thinking of the huge ocean between the two continents and that here we are sitting in, in one office, literally uh, discussing these issues and how similar the, the background issues are. It's just that it's just a matter of a culture of how to address them. From an African perspective, right, um, so it's a, quite a new concept and I think we need to raise consciousness and awareness like you alluded to in your questions, you see um, many people wrongly um, associate family businesses with small businesses. So they'll think of the corner shop, the mom and pop shop, but won't think of the larger corporates, the larger businesses like Walmart or so many household names which we have that are family businesses. Um, so I think we need to raise consciousness to create more awareness. So firstly, family businesses identify themselves as family businesses, understand that they are um, a niche type of business and where we need to really give them more understanding and awareness of the three circle model, for instance, you know, the different systems that underlie a family business. And so they realize that they need more specialist help. I think also this awareness needs to go to associations as well. So we have so many chambers of commerces, we have so many industry associations. They also need to be aware that we need to provide specific training and specific content for family businesses. Um, we also need more research. Um, in Africa, there's a dearth of research um, and we really need to get research institutions, universities to get more data on why is it that we're not seeing as much multi-generational success over here and how can we then rightly support family businesses so they can thrive. So we're coming from a place of being well-informed well as opposed to hypo hypothesizing on the issues that are causing or hindering the multi-generational um, transfers. I think we also need more in-country, in-continent support. So we need more family business advisors, more than Sissi and myself, <laughs> that really understand the cultural issues. A lot of the time, as you said, Sissy, businesses, systems, procedures, and structures, whereas family is 
communication, collaboration, clarity. And when we bring the two together, actually, we tend to see that we need to focus more on the family dynamics than we need to focus more on the business dynamics. So we really need to see more family business advisors on the continent that understand the cultural issues, the issues that are hindering that collaboration, hindering that clarity. You know, um, I think that would really help in improving the situation on the ground. I think, um, Nika, you're asking the next question. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, how can next generation and current generation forge alliances that will ensure that family businesses become multi-generational? That's to you, Enrique. Okay, basically, uh, many of the things that uh, you mentioned, Nike, uh, are very important to, to create uh, the awareness of even the Chamber of Commerces. I mean, I give seminars in Chamber of Commerces and Industry, and, and to them it's fascinating the topic because that they're not really aware, even as those organizations of it. Now it's, it's becoming more and more. But uh, like, for example, in this region, the topic, I was trying to, to find a, a, a date, but I estimate based on what I know and how I came about with this project and all that about family business, that it became a topic somewhere in the millennium. I mean, somewhere after 2000, I would say it's when, when the topic starts having resonance in, in, in Central America. And even, even Latin America, I, I would say, because when I talk to some of the advisors and consultants uh, on this side of the, of the world, uh, they haven't been consultants longer than I have. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that pretty much all share an average of, uh, of experience. But uh, that term of loneliness that uh, you were talking, Nikkei, uh, at some point. I don't know from my standpoint of uh, of founder how the successors uh, might be feeling. It's amazing. One of the neat things about what we're doing is that you're giving the perspective of next gen, and I'm I'm trying to stick to the founders here because of what. But it's only at the top period, you know. I mean, I think that uh, whoever is at the top sits there and that's why in the next generation it's not really the the problem of lack of governance but the lack of the system that is appropriate for that uh, particular generation and and that's where where the starting with with having good governance means that having a good body with whom you can relate and you can discuss uh, the problems and difficulties based on the on the advice of many. Then the uh, promoting uh, encounters, successor encounters. I was thinking that maybe there could be a a seminar that we could put together and put together a few of the successors, you know, and and have them talk to each other and realize that there is a a support group, if you may want to look at it that way, you know, in the sense of, of discussing how the day they encounter the problems. 
many times they're worried. They see the, the, the succession problem coming, but they are afraid uh, that if they bring that topic up, that it's going to be felt like a threat or like that you're trying to take over the business or, or things like that. So we need organizations that allow our businesses and our successors to, to have a support and to find ways that they can address these issues without feeling that way. And we also have to work at it from both ends also because the, the founders are supposed to promote this type of, of processes and communications. So uh, we need more organizations that uh, create uh, uh, environments where this can be discussed openly and, it, and that it's not so much of a taboo to talk about who's going to do what in 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 future uh, in future years. Right. Um, how can next gen and current generations forge alliances? Um, I think empathy is really important in the discussion between next gens and um, current gens. I am a current. I'm a next gen who's uh, facing the inevitable route of becoming a current gen to my children's generation. And so every complaint I have right now about founder generations will ultimately fall to me if it's not corrected where I'm standing. And so I think empathy is really important as a soft skill. Empathy is something that's not easy to teach, but it's something that will be able to allow us to change the conversation. In my lifetime alone, and I'm relatively young, we have moved on from having landlines to cell phones to having meetings with um, Enrique, who is thousands of miles away from me, as if he's sitting across the room from me in my office, in my lounge, wherever I am. And so it's... In, in the current space we are in, as the generational transition is happening, we have to become the technology itself and try to use empathy to bridge the gap between us and realize that the world is moving at a very fast pace, but our relationships remain the same. They remain consistent. They remain the one thing that holds us steady sharing our stories with each other, understanding the experiences that we have that might be different from generation to generation. Because we learn, each generation has something that they, are, they have learned that is critical to pass on. And I think history teaches us how to navigate the, the present as much as to how to look into the future and predict what can and cannot happen. So because of this, next gens, we need to pay attention to what um, our founders, the, the current gens have learned because we cannot go into a future and think that because we are modern, we are inventing new things and we are carrying this fast moving technological space into the future, we forget where we're coming from. We're all a result of our past. 
and the current generation is a result of our past and they're living in the future as we may know it today. I don't think anyone expected things like um, the situation we had with CODIF shutting down economies globally. Yet we were all in the same boat. We all had to come together. We all, everyone had to grab an oar and start helping navigate the ship. Similarly so when it comes to family businesses. We know the history of our businesses. If we don't, it's about time we sat down and started finding out what drove our families to start these businesses, why we are in, in these industries, who are we serving and why do we serve them? So that when we take over or when we look at taking over, we carry that history with us. We use it as a flag to herald what our values are, what our belief systems are. And ultimately, so it, th that burden will fall onto our children because we have to tell them these same stories, the same vision. The vision may change. The direction may change because technology will dictate that. But the value system of the family never will. So forging alliances is based on understanding each other, understanding each other's perspectives, where we are, where we want to go, how we want to get there, and then trying to merge that picture into one beautiful canvas that uh, makes our family businesses the future. Yeah. So just, if I may add just a little bit of, of what you were saying as, as you, were, you were talking and, and thinking that yes. we got to keep also in perspective that this is a process that has to be intertwined between the founders and the successors. It is not a job of just the founder that I may have given that impression when I was talking because I was emphasizing on what the founder needed to do. And then I was thinking maybe CC uh, is, is emphasizing the part of the successor, but I'm, I know that, uh, that from prior conversations that we had that we agree that, that it's a joint venture and it's a, in a, it's a transition, it's a, it's a journey uh, through that process. And, and that your children for as young as they may be, uh, they are already part of that transitional process. I just wanted to add that to it. Yes, completely. I think we both very much agree on that. It's a whole, um, tra it's a whole transition. It's like a wave that has to merge into each other to then create that, um, that effect that people get when they're surfing. So the next question is, in your opinion, as a consultant and a family business owner, I think all of us carry those two hats as we are navigating this and also being family business members. What can you do better to prepare your business and, and family for that transition between your generation and the incoming generation? Um, Enrique? Well, for one is uh, to put more effort into understanding what family business is and to really, I think we got frozen. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. Uh, first is the awareness itself of, of what family business is and what it takes. Uh, to create, to create a shared vision as soon as possible 
to have the input of the next generation into this vision. As Sissi was saying, the vision may be transforming as the time goes on, but as long as that we transform that vision together and share it and have a, a common north, we will be able to be successful as a family and as a business. Also, uh, the, we cannot emphasize enough the need of family governance, governance in the family, governance in the business, and governance in ownership. And to remember when we have which hat put on at the moment. Sometimes we go into the family business with the family hat on, or sometimes we go into the business with the ownership hat on. And so we, we got to get more understanding of, uh, of those issues, have clear rules of engagement, uh, and that becomes the family business protocol, and that these protocols have to be done together with the generations because we may have input on what we would like as founders the, the, the protocol to look like, but the ones that would have to uh, abide are the successors. So they have to also have an input and a saying on, on what to say on that. So if uh, the other thing is the willingness. Uh, I have run into many families that still here in Nicaragua and Central America, we see that uh, uh, parents are still dictating uh, or requesting strongly to their children what is it that they're going to study because the family business needs you there or the family needs you. Uh, and, and that is very unfortunate because uh, if the successor does not want to be involved in the managing and the day-to-day -day of the business, that doesn't mean that, that the successor does not have a role in the business as a director, as a responsible uh, uh, shareholder. So there is a lot to, that I would do differently uh, as a family uh, business owner. But then also as an advisor, being able, having been there and having lived this uh, error and knowing that there, there are means to do it, even if none of your successors want to be in the day-to-day -day of the business, that does not mean that the family business will disappear. And also the fact that <clears throat> there is nowhere in the uh, written that a family business cannot be sold or, or as long as it's not because of a conflict. What, what we as, as consultants try to, to work with the family is that all options are open. You can grow, you can reduce, like many businesses right now are compacting their, proces their processes and their, their branches, their closing branches and things to be able to reduce in order to, to, to surpass this, uh, this crisis then you can sell the business or you can close. I mean, and they're all strategies. But as long as it's not because of a, of a, of a family conflict that really hurts, if you sell a business because of a family uh, conflict, what you're doing is giving a bargain to somebody because they're going to use 
that conflict, or find out about that conflict and use it as a bargaining chip to, to buy your company as a discount. So all aspects are on the table. Everything can, be, can happen in a family business, but as a consultant, as an advisor, we accompany families in taking the right decisions, in implementing the, the right uh, corporate governance and writing their own rules because we don't tell them what to do. If they decide, we just guide them through a, through a process of writing those rules and then how to implement them in the family. And given this succession, I feel that the liberty to choose and to follow their own dreams. But I like, I like the, the example of, of the armed forces in, in many countries. Uh, they have the reserve. You know, they are trained in, 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 in as, a, as, a, as, a, as a warrior, I guess, as, a, as, a, as an army person. But then they go and do their thing. And there'll become a time when, just like a, a headhunter calls somebody and says, look, I have a job. Would you like it to, to, you know, a family member may be called upon to compete for that job, to, to, to be in the selection pool for that job, not to be chosen just because uh, they're family. So and, and another example that I like is the, is, is I, I call it, uh, when I talk about the protocol, the uh, the baseball, the rules of baseball, playing baseball or playing football, you know, but I like baseball. Uh, so I'm going to say in that example is that, you know, you, uh, here there's a lot of jokes about mother-in-laws. I don't know if in, in Africa, they, they also have many jokes about mother-in-laws and, 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 and the, and, and the, uh, and the, 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 the husband or the wife of the, of the daughter or son. But the thing is that here we say, well, your mother-in-law could be, could be at the pitcher and you can be batting and you can never say that, she, that uh, you got striked out because she doesn't like you, you know? If you know the rules, you know the rules of the pitcher, you know what is his role, what does he have to do, which is to strike you out. And that your, your rules are and your role is to be able to try to hit that ball as hard as you can, there is no issue there about emotions. It's all about the rules. So the family definitely needs to, to do that. And there is a big role. I have, I have been in processes where, where the founders are no longer there and the, the, the successors are trying to get together and to do a family protocol. The leadership of the founder, it's, when at a glance he can stop an argument or she can stop an argument you know how that goes when mom looks at somebody and they realize that they're going into uncharted territory so it's important i have noticed how important it is that the founders realize that they have to be the leaders of, of this process in order for it to be much more uh palatable for the family and successors. Yeah, really great submissions. I've also, we've spoken about communication, we've spoken about collaboration. 
in addition to those, what can really help to prepare the business and the family for the multi-generational transition is clarity. And so if we think of the family business as a car, and, you know, we often think of the speed at which the car is driving, that signifies the performance, you know, the profits, the wealth building, but we also need to direction. And so as founding generation, um, we need to provide direction. What is the purpose of this business? What is the purpose of us as a family? And then what are our individual purposes as individuals? And how does that play into the wider purpose of the family business and the family? Also, I think we need to gain clarity on who are we? Who are we as a family? What are our values? What is it that we stand for? Um, I think we, we don't have enough of this conversation. Um, I think values actually play a bigger role in the multi-generational success than we like to imagine. I think also it's important as a founding generation in conjunction with the um, next generation, <laughs> assuming you've got children and grandchildren, to have full clarity on, you know, the philosophy in terms of what are our views on in-laws, their role in the family business, what do we think about prenuptial agreements, what are our entry policies for next gens like myself, do they just rock up straight after university and come into the business as executive directors or do they, are there criteria which we set, what are the entry criteria to be on the board, this is entering the realm of family governance, which is Sissy's baby and Enrique's um, baby. So I think it's really important to have these conversations as families, gain clarity on what it is that, who are we, our, our values, where are we going, our purpose, and what do we want? Let's have clarity on these policies. Right, I think we have a question from one of the people in the audience today and they're asking how do processes or documents like family charter and family protocol and family constitution help in improving family communication um, I'll, I'll let Arike take that first before I answer well as we were saying before uh, the protocol is actually the one that sets the rules for the family from even even communication itself uh, in the protocol, there is stated as to who and how there is going to be a family council, for example. How do you invoke a family council for, for any type of issues that a family member may have? And under what circumstances uh, the family member can enter the business. We were talking about in-laws at, at, at one point here. How can an in-law go into the business or, or not? So invoking the, the protocol, knowing the protocol, it's really helpful to establish communication levels because we can always point at the protocol because you, we might come to the council and say, well, as the protocol says, I, I would like to request a such and such meeting with with you guys or also the family assemblies is another government body which is a broader and more relaxed uh body in which uh 
it is intended to mingle. It is intended to transfer some of those values also that we were talking about to, to, to younger generations. And I think that overall, having gone through a process of a family business uh, awareness uh, with a, an advisor, promote this type of communication because it opens communications with generations. We explain the, the different generations itself. I am the, the edge on the farther, the border of, uh, of baby boom. My wife is Generation X. I have two kids that are Generation uh, Millennium. And I have a Gen Z that came a little much, much later. <laughs> so uh, it is kind of fun, you know, to, to now that, that we have that awareness of generations, because if you do not have that awareness of generations, it's, it's very hard to see how they impact the way that you communicate. And also try to, to, to address uh, the different uh, generations in the way that they prefer to, to communicate. So I, I definitely think that uh, going through a process uh, gets people together. I had a, com I had a family that the, the uh, I would like to talk about the governing generation because this is already in second generation and it was all brothers. And the older brother, when I recommended that there would be a group chat for everybody to, to express themselves, they were really in uproar. Why do we have to have that? Why do we want to talk to each other? Why do we want to talk to each other? Imagine, you know, and now you should see the communication in, in, that, in that group, you know? I mean, it's just, there is an openness. There is no barriers between the, the, the uh, role of the, of the, I would like, well, I didn't want to talk about uh, CEO or, or, or the leader of the family, I would say, that because it's now an, the, an older brother who tends to be the leader of the family. And there is an openness between a 17-year-old that puts something there and then the, the leader of the family answers. And then there is a communication with no barriers of, of that uh, respect that it's almost fear sometimes that, that, they, that a, the family may have. So having a consulting process, having gone through it, establishing uh, a common vision, doing governance in the family, in the business, and as ownership, and having clear rules of engagement uh, through a protocol really uh, facilitates the familiarity required between generations to be able to talk to each other, I believe. Um, I think I'm just going to add on to um, the wealth of information that Enrique has shared with us. And just say also that the processes and the documents, are, it's more of the family constitution ends up being a document, but the process itself is what's really important in the journey. Um, it's not something you can quickly do. It's not something that can be done and then put away and we hope for the best. It's an operational 
and governance procedure that is ongoing consistently and being developed by the family as you go along, it sometimes may be able to help in guiding communications on how we communicate with each other and what are the rules and regulations we've agreed on as a family in terms of how we operate and how we treat each other with regards to the business more than the actual personal interpersonal relationships because those can be complex within themselves and so improving family communication is a lot like going to a therapy session where you have to extend yourself and realize that each family member is different their priorities their needs the way they think and view things are completely different the family constitution is just a rallying call, a common document with set systems and procedures on certain things that can be governed, on certain things where you can provide um, information on how we handle things. There are other things that can't be um, assisted by a family constitution, communication being the key one. Communication is an interpersonal thing. You have to know how to communicate to the next person and what are their, their buttons, what really uh, makes them, triggers them and how you can be diplomatic when you're dealing with them. So as much as the documents themselves and the process themselves help to govern how the family work together, the communication is a whole different ballgame that has to be worked on. You have to get to know each other better and not just the surface knowing each other at the occasional, hi, how are you doing? But truly asking, how are you? And listening to what the other person has to say and then being able to continue that communication as you go into different areas that need you to work together for a common cause. I think um, that's my two cents on that. We have a comment from Yvonne, which I'm going to read um, before Nike uh, asks the final question that has just come in. Yvonne says that mine is not a question, but an addition to what Sitsi said, but having research institutes and universities devoting time for research on family businesses and particularly on, on next generation succession is failing. However, I also think that we need depth of research on family business and regional development, and this will create more avenues for developing policy directions. I am not sure of how political systems currently accommodate family businesses, and probably because there's no clear documentations regarding the contributions of family businesses on the continent, I guess research is the way to go now. Thanks. And I completely agree with uh, what Ivan says. And uh, what Nikkei says is that dearth of research that is on the continent that really needs to be beefed up on. Nikkei? Okay, we have a question from VP Thanga. What would be the best way to decide whether the next generation is capable of continuing the business? Is there any timeline to make the decision? I'll leave Enrique to answer that. Well, if, if the family is at that point of uh, deciding whether the, fam the successors are capable, they are too late. Uh, they need to work on this at the very early, like we were saying, when the succession starts, when the kids are born. And 
when we are doing a process with a family creating uh going through this journey that is the right word that Cici mentioned it's the it's a matter it's about the journey and not so the result that uh that we should be worried about is also creating <clears throat> and exposing successors to have the the chance of training themselves of experiencing the business and being able to recognize as they go along whether they they have the experience or not and that is also something that is stated in the protocol is what are the requirements that are needed in order to access uh, are we frozen can you hear me okay uh i see nikki frozen here and uh, so what are the requirements that that the family has agreed upon in order to be able to to access or to to work in the family business so the capabilities need to be uh promoted and also for example i have families that say that they will only accept family in the directorship of the of the business that uh, they had agreed that the entire uh managing aspect of the business from general managers down will all be professionalized when we talk about professionalized in this side of the world is uh, we, we say external uh, employees, not uh, family employees. And we also try to promote the fact that, the, that to be the difference between family business and a family in business is that a family business tends to have the family involved in the day-to-day -day of the business, whereas the family in business levitate to the direction of their businesses, and they also have a multiple business organization. So more than identifying at the end whether they have the capabilities or not, I would say that we have to promote those capabilities and make them aware. Listen, we're looking for directors. Listen, we're looking for, and, and these, are the, these are the requirements, facilitate to them, to them what the what the business and go train themselves i noticed that in many schools of family business they are promoting to go outside of the business and i know nikke that you have quite an extensive uh, i don't know as much on cc but uh I, I watched a video on you and and you have a lot of experience on outside the business and i'm sure that you could see the benefits of bringing that experience into the family business because those things are not learned in the family business yes um and may i just add that i think we need to also consider non-family staff as a potential to lead the business in the next generation because as we move across generations complexity of the business may necessitate that the family ascends greater levels of higher levels of leadership in a strategic role as opposed to an operational role. Um, therefore, I think we need to all expand our mindsets with regards to the options and also throw into the mix um, non family staff as potential successors 
in terms of leadership of the business. We need to open up the talent pool. In general, family businesses tend to suffer from inability to attract and retain talent, whether it's from family or non-family. So, you know, limiting the pool to just the children that the founder has actually puts us at a disadvantage. We need to widen that pool and whoever's best for the job. So be it, but train and groom the next generation of family members such that at the very minimum, they are able to be effective owners, future owners of the business, responsible shareholders of the business, and strategic leaders in terms of board members and things like that. So, yes. Um, sorry, Sissy. Um, I think we have one question here. Um, ladies and gentlemen, we will make this our last question because we are now running over time. And I'm sure many of you have got um, other things to rush to. So the last question is, how should we handle business issues when they switch from into family and personal issue? And I will give this to Enrique before Nike wraps up for us. This is a very difficult uh, situation because uh, in a perfect world, we recommend that uh, these issues be separate, family when it's family and business when it's business. I lost the video of both of you, so I don't know if we're still there. We're here, we're here. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's why the family council is there because the in the business environment, the in a general business meeting, if there is an issue that becomes personal, what is trying to do to avoid the conflict is to try to remind the family members that family issues are managed in a family council and that there is a place for that and try to separate that as much as possible. In the reality, once the family uh, member is in, in, in bringing, is, is uh, concerned with bringing this issue in a business environment, this family issue in a business environment, is very difficult to dissuade them to do so. But as we try to, to remember ourselves about our agreements that we have done about our obligations and our responsibilities to keep business when it's business and family when it's family will help us to get into that um, uh, into into separating those two issues so it's I, I believe that it's very complicated but uh, as we learn about the process, as we remind our families of where, what role are we playing, what hat we have on at the moment that we are discussing business issues, it's going to help quite a bit to, to maintain those separate. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much um, for being with us today, Enrique. We've had a great time having this conversation. And I'm sure we can talk and talk for a couple of hours on this <laughs> because it's, a, it's such a wide topic, family governance and next generation on two whole continents. Um, 
But yes, it's been extremely enlightening. Um, thank you very much for everyone that joined live and for your participation and questions. We really appreciate it. And just before uh, we go, just wanted to find out, Enrique, if any of our audience wants to get hold of you, can you just share with us how they can get hold of you? Absolutely. I'm, well, if uh, thank, first of all, thank you for the opportunity of being with you, Enrique, and to be able to share and realize that we have common problems. We might have different ways of addressing them in, in, in some aspects, uh, aspects of culture, but the need is there and and also the and the good news is that there is something that family business can be done can do uh to overcome those small obstacles in comparison with the vast opportunities and vast strength that a family itself brings to their business and 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 also for the well-being of the family uh well, you, you can contact me through, the, through either Nike or CC in, in primary instance. And also, I am in, in Facebook and LinkedIn. Uh, and uh, I don't know if I should go as far as to give my WhatsApp number, but uh, I think that... Uh, um, I think what um, we would also encourage our audience to do, if you want to get hold of um, Enrique and um, you can contact us directly, you found our details on African Family Firms, just contact us and then we will pass on the email to Enrique and he will then reach out and get hold of you. Otherwise, thank you so much for joining us today. And I would, I would like to consider ourselves also as a team that are working for the well-being of whoever contacts us, we will uh, share our, our knowledge and our experiences uh, with, a, with a team effort.